You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. We are finishing a series this morning uh, on Uncommon Savior. Uh, This person of Jesus as he hung for six hours, two feet off the ground. We have seven statements in scripture that he made. Uh, Today we're actually finishing that. We've not done these in order. If you're following along at all, we didn't do these in order. Uh, So today we're actually hitting the sixth statement. And it's very appropriate to finish the series saying it is finished. Uh, Last time as Pastor Scott asked me to preach, he gave me three words. Um you know, about being thirsty. Um, Today it's three words, but you'll be glad to know it's really only one word uh, in the Greek, so we're going to cover one word uh, today. And if you're wondering, no, it's not any shorter than usual. It's just still just one word. Um, But it's amazing what we discover because the goal in Scripture, right, is not to get through it. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. As you read the Word of God, and some of you may have, through the course of this series, as you're reading the different passages that we've unpacked, um, you, you may have gotten a little bored. Just be honest. You may have gotten a little bored. Man, I've read this before. I've read this numerous times. We're reading this like seven weeks. Uh, guys, the goal is to get into word, into God's Word until God's Word gets into us. And as we unpack these statements of Jesus, it reveals so much more. It's not just a statement. It's a, it's a revelation of truth. And so this morning, we're going to look at this statement. It's in John chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can begin to turn there. We're going to end up at various places in Scripture this morning. You may just want to jot some of these passages down. You may want to take a, a picture of the screen with one of the verses um, to just kind of go back and look at. Um, But you you may not be able to flip through and find all the places that we're going to hit this morning because what we see is Jesus uncovering some incredible things in these simple words. We're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, something that the Romans knew very well. They were extraordinary at doing it. They had perfected it. Um, In in a way, you could say it was a, a brutal art form for them. To beat somebody bloody almost to the point of death, but not quite, and then to hang them on a cross to to suffer for hours and hours and hours in agony and in pain. What they did, they were good at doing. Uh, There are some people, skeptics out there, who think, well, Jesus didn't really die. He he swooned, and that somehow in his weak state, he moved the stone away and conquered the, the Praetorian Guard and escaped. Um, Listen, these guys were good at what they did. They were incredibly good. They also knew it was their life. If one of these guys ever got away, it was their life. Uh, They were going to be sacrificed. And so they they knew what they were doing. And, And what we always have to remember is that through these moments, Jesus was always in control. We're going to see that in the text. Jesus was always in control. He never lost control of the circumstances of these events, not just the events of the six hours on the cross, but everything leading up to it. It was a plan. It was a purpose. Jesus was living purposefully. But this idea of crucifixion uh, was an incredible means of maintaining order and security. The governors of the region would would use this as a a way to sort of keep people in check, especially those that that might be rising up, some of the freedom fighters or others trying to break away from Roman rule. Matter of fact, it's interesting, and and if you want to do this this week, just read through the Gospels of the account of, of 
leading up to Jesus' uh, arrest, it actually talks about the fact that the, the, the leaders were saying, well, let's, let's just arrest him and crucify him, and all of his followers will go away just like all the others. It's a subtle little statement in there, but obviously we're here today because his followers didn't go away. Something unique happened on the cross when Jesus died. And so as we come to this place where he is about ready to, to give up his spirit and, and, and die, he, he throws out these words. Look with me in John chapter 19. We're going to read verses 28 through 30 to set up our text here. It simply says this, after this, after these events, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, in order to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Three words in, in your translation, it is finished. One word actually in the Greek, uh, and, and it's interesting because John chose this Greek term to translate what Jesus would have declared in Aramaic. And so he picked this word because it was, it was the best word that summarized exactly what Jesus had said. Tetelestai. It's a Greek verb, and, and as Jesus made that declaration, one word. What is he saying? The word may be unfamiliar to us, but it was used by various people in everyday life in those days. A variation of the verb is used several times through Scripture. Matter of fact, it's used in, in John chapter 17, which for me was a little bit confusing uh, through much of my Christian life because in John chapter 17, verse 4, it, it says that Jesus, in praying to his Father, he says, Father, I've finished the work. The King James uses the word finished. Other translations may have say, I've accomplished or I've completed the work you've given me to do. Now, I was the kid that grew up in Sunday school. Anybody else? I had a drug problem as a kid. I was drugged to church every time the doors were open and uh, we were there. I was the kid left asleep in the back row and mom and dad both left going, where's David? I don't know. And he, he was still asleep in the back pew after Sunday night church. I was that kid. So growing up in Sunday school, I knew that Jesus came to, you know, the Christmas story and, you know, all that. And, and he was going to live a sinless life. He was going to die a brutal death. He, he raised again and he conquered death on our behalf. Great story. As I grew in my own faith and began to read scripture for myself, and I came across this passage, John 17, 4, and it says, Jesus says, I've finished the work. I've completed the work you've given me to do. I said, wait a minute. He, he hasn't been arrested. He hasn't done all that. And so what did he finish at that point? Um, well, what he finished is actually the task that he left for us. He demonstrated for us what it is to make disciples of Jesus to make followers. So you can be a follower of Jesus, you can love Jesus, but to fulfill the mission of Jesus, we have to do what Jesus did. And he took these 12 guys and he made disciples who were gonna continue the work after Jesus died. So in John 17, four, he uses a variation of this same verb when he says, I, I have finished the work. Uh, it was common in those days that, that a servant or a, a worker would, would say to their boss, I've finished, and they would use a variation of this verb. It was also used in, in several other ways. The priests, uh, as they would examine uh, a sacrifice that was brought, and they would examine it, and they would say, it, it's finished, it's complete. 
Uh, I think probably the, the greatest form of where this is used is, is actually in the marketplace as the merchants would, would take payment for something. And actually, archaeologists have actually uncovered old papyrus tax receipts with this word written across. Tetelestai. It means to be paid in full. To be fully accomplished. This is what Jesus declared as he hung on the cross. Knowing that it was all finished, he, he in Aramaic, uh, simply said, it is finished. It's paid in full. And the word that John translated to the Greek, the original language here, was that word tetelestai. It is finished. The debt is paid in full. What debt? What was complete? What was finished? As we look at this, with Jesus' last breath on the cross, he declared that the debt of sin is now complete. He made an exchange, if you would, uh, of his life for ours. His blood payment on the cross for my debt, his holiness and his righteousness for my sin. So as I was pressing into this passage the last few weeks, I probably came up with about 30 things that I saw Jesus exchange. You'd be glad to know we're not hitting all those, okay? Uh, I want to share three things this morning that I see that Jesus exchanged on the cross when he said, it is finished. It is complete. The debt is paid. What just happened? What was his declaration? Three things. Are you ready? Three of you are ready. Are the rest of you ready? Um, yeah, Autumn, Jacob, Lee, some of you guys that are with us online. All right, here we go. Three things. I see an exchange that took place, a great exchange. The first thing I see is that Jesus exchanged the old covenant for the new covenant. He exchanged the old covenant for the new covenant. How many of you have a Bible? Let me see it. I got my sword. Uh, I see some phones. I see some phones. That's kind of legitimate in this day and age. It's okay. Um, when, when you pick up your Bible, right here is, is where mine separates. This is the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. You have those in your Bible? Anybody? Okay. The, the way I like to describe that to people as I'm discipling and working with them, this is Old Covenant. This is New Covenant. Old Covenant. Old Testament. There's this 400-year gap in between the two. I got to get back to John. Where are we? Um, there's a 400-year separation between the two, between this Old Covenant and the New Covenant. When we celebrate Lord's Supper, communion, as Jesus was enjoying the Passover with his disciples, he, he said, he picked up a cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Because he was ushering in this new covenant. So when he made this declaration on the cross, when he gave himself up, Jesus, what he's saying is that I have fully met the righteous demands of the holy law. And he paid our debt in full. None of the Old Testament sacrifices could take away sin. 
the blood of those sacrifices that we read about all through the Old Testament. And I know that you enjoy that in your personal quiet time, right? Uh, how often do you just jump to the book of Leviticus and say, man, let me study the Levitical laws. What were they sacrificing? Why were they sacrificing those? None of those sacrifices could pay the price. They could simply cover the sin. But this was all about God's relationship with his people under the Old Covenant. But here he is, the Lamb of God. We just sang about the Lamb of God who shed his blood, and that blood can take away the sin of the world. Not simply cover it, but take it away. When we went through the, the series in Hebrews, uh, and I'm sure that every one of us hung on every single word that Pastor Scott preached through the book of Hebrews, so I'm sure you remember all of that. If not, it's online. Go back and enjoy it. But in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, look what it says. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there can be no what? Forgiveness of sin. So, understand this. From the very beginning when God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, Adam and Eve, when he created them, he created them for fellowship and intimacy. Some of you will get that after lunch. Um, but he created them for intimacy and fellowship. That was his desire, his longing. But, but I have to be honest with you this morning, I, I oftentimes find even my own pursuits in life are for many things that aren't him. And yet his longing for me is to have all things in him, to enjoy him fully, for him to be the desire of my heart, my passions, my longings, everything that I do, I do for him, with him, and for his glory. But can I say this, that, that God had a plan all along? Somebody say amen. amen. God had a plan all along. God's always working even if I don't think he's working. Because all along, God knew that sin would enter his creation. Even before he created, before Genesis 1-1 happened, God knew what was going to happen. He was going to create the, the heavens and the earth and all the things in the earth. And he did all these things and it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. He created man, it was good. He saw man's aloneness. He said, it's not good that man is alone. And so he created a helper. And, and all along this process, what we see is God longing for intimate fellowship. Even before that, he knew there was going to be a problem and he was going to have to fix the problem. And yet he still chose to create us. That's overwhelming to me. I mean, how many times do you go into a project going, this project's going to fail, I'm not even going to do it. And yet God so longs for fellowship with you, he still created you knowing you were going to sin and be separated from him. And so he created Adam and Eve. And in Genesis chapter 3, boy, it didn't take long, right? The third chapter. Matter of fact, early, verse 6, tells us very specifically that Adam and Eve took of the fruit. Do you remember this story? How many of you believe it was an apple? That's uh, a lie. So, anyway, we don't know what it is. The, the truth is, we don't know what it is. It was the fruit. Um, but in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says that they took. And if you have your Bible open there, I encourage you to circle that word, underline it. That word took introduced for the first time in creation sin and fearful hiding and separation from God. You see, whenever we pursue something that's not God, 
and not his plan and not his purpose, it creates sin and fearful hiding and separation. They took. They took. They had a longing and a desire for something that was not God. So down in verse 8, I love this. And they heard, this is Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord walking through the garden. Get this, in the cool of the day. This is, this is an extra note. I think God was, probably loves Midwestern people more um, because this is God's creation. Get this, this is God's creation. It didn't say walking through the heat and the humidity of the south. He said walked in the cool of the day. This was God's perfect design, people. The cool of the day. That's why I love fall. That has nothing to do with the message, so set that aside. Um, he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They took, introduced sin and fearful hiding and separation from God. Listen, when you and I have unconfessed sin in our life and we're in sin and separation from God, the last place you want to be is in the presence of God and God's people. So what do we do? We go hide. Well, I don't want to go to church. I, I don't want to go to small group. I don't want to. I, I, why? Because when we start to draw close to God and God's people, it begins to bring spiritual conviction in our hearts. So Adam and Eve ran and they hid. And, and in their own futile attempt, they tried to cover their sin. Didn't they? It says they took leaves and stuff and uh, had a great conversation with, with Carol between services. And, and she reminded me of this. There was this, we, we tried to do it ourselves. You, you, can't, you can't restore fellowship and relationship to God. Only God can do that. So down in verse 21, same chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, look at this. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins. And he clothed them. So, somebody answer this question. Where did God get the skins? He killed the animal. Something had to give its life so that Adam and Eve could be covered. He, he took the blood of an innocent animal. And he shed the blood and he took the skin and he covered them. Why? Because he was attempting restoration and fellowship with Adam and Eve to himself. He so longed the desire of the relationship. You see, fellowship with God was broken because of sin and separation. This began the process of the old covenant. Here's where it literally began. Between God and his people of sacrifices to atone for sin, to cover them for their wrongdoing, there needed to be a greater sacrifice. Because any of these innocent animals without blemish or anything else would never satisfy the holy, righteous demands of, of God. Because what is God's demand? Holiness, perfection. And none of these sacrifices could do that. There needed to be a greater sacrifice, one that is holy, one that is righteous, one that is perfection, one that is pure, just as God himself is holy, righteous, and pure. So what did he do? He sent his son, Jesus, to become the holy, righteous sacrifice. About 600 years before 
Jesus is hanging on this cross. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 23, he, he makes this declaration in 23. He makes it again in chapter 33. But listen to what Jeremiah says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. This is a messianic prophecy talking about the coming Messiah, talking about Jesus. I will raise up a, uh, for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and he will deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name, hang on to this, this is the name by which he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. You go, oh, that's really great, Dave. What does that mean? This is a name attributed to God. He has over 300 names throughout Scripture. This is the name Jehovah. It's the, it's the primary name of God, Jehovah Sidkenu, God, my righteousness. Uh, the picture that he is creating is that God will make a sacrifice. He will cover me in my sin so that he sees his righteousness that covers me. And he doesn't see my sin. He sees his holiness and his righteousness that covers me. He is my Jehovah Sidkenu. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he covers me with the blood of his son so that when God sees me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees his holiness. He sees his righteousness. He sees his purity, his perfection that covers me. Jesus, innocent, holy, righteous, freely and willingly took upon himself the wrath of God. Why? Because what we learned from Genesis all through the Old Testament is this simple principle. Hang on to this. Listen to me. The blood of the innocent has always been shed for the sin of the guilty. Are you with me? The blood of the innocent has always been shed for the sin of the guilty. I am guilty before God. I can't pay the debt that is owed. Only an innocent Savior, my Jehovah Sid, can do God. My righteousness can cover me through his innocent blood. Think about this for a moment as Pilate, with Jesus on trial... As he stands there and, and he's asking the crowd, hey, who, who would you like to see crucified? And who would you like to see let go? Barabbas, the criminal, the murderer, or this innocent man named Jesus? And what did the crowd say? Jesus, crucify him. Crucify him and let Barabbas go. And, and Pilate, in, in his head, he's going, wait, you want me to release the innocent, or you want me to release the guilty, and you want me to crucify the, the innocent? Let the guilty man go, crucify the innocent. Of course, that was God's plan. The blood of the innocent always needs to be shed for the guilty. I'm guilty. Barabbas was guilty. He needed a redeemer just like I needed a redeemer. And it was only the blood of the innocent man named Jesus who could possibly do that. Imagine Barabbas sitting down. I don't know if he was standing up there with Pilate and all this, like, hey, do you want this guy or this guy? I don't know. But I, this week I was imagining, what if he's down in his cell and he's not hearing Pilate's stuff, but he's hearing the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. 
And he knew it was him. And imagine sitting in that cell and hearing the footsteps approach the gate of his cell and they open it and he knows that he's going to be crucified. He knows that the end of his life is coming and instead they look at him and go, you've been set free. Wow, what? You got the wrong guy. Uh, no, there's this innocent guy they decided to crucify in your place. Shocking. That's the way God works, isn't it? That's the way he works. I shared this illustration with you before, but I, I want to just put this image back in your head. Uh, summer's coming, and, and again, lots of heat, lots of humidity. Um, you're you're going to put on sunglasses at some point, probably this, maybe today. Um, <clears throat> when I think of Jehovah Sidkenu, God, my righteousness, and, and I think of it, I think of it every time I get in my car. I have weird little reminders in my life that every time I get in my car, you know, there's that spot across the top of your windshield that's shaded. Anybody else have that in your car, your newfangled car? Um, <clears throat> when you look at that, you, it, it's creating an, you know, a shade right there. That's in essence what these, I've got a, I've got a, a little blue thing and, and this is blue. What color is this? Blue. Good job, good job. Um, so when I look through this, you all, wow, you really look, what? Very good. This one's green. When I look through this, you all look like Packer fans. Um, <clears throat> some of you will enjoy that. This one's yellow. I love this because this is red like the blood of Jesus. And when I look through this, what do I see? You all look red. Whether it's a pair of sunglasses, whether it's that little strip along the top of your windshield, here's what I want you to remember. You look at that, and what, what you think of is that God is my Jehovah Sidkenu. He is my righteousness. When God looks at me as his child, as his son adopted into the kingdom, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of his son who covers me. And he looks at me and he sees the righteousness of his son imputed to me. And he sees me as redeemed. He sees me as saved. He sees me as one of his. Someone said, well, what can I do to be saved? The answer is nothing. There's not a thing in the world you can do to be saved. The work is finished. It is complete uh, at the cross of Jesus Christ. The debt is paid in full and we must meet Jesus at the cross. That is the only way to do it. The second exchange that I see is, is uh, Jesus exchanged his teaching for his life. A, a lot of times in, in Christian circles and in church life, we like to talk the talk. Jesus talked the talk, but Jesus walked the walk. The crucifixion of Jesus is central to the gospel, and we see it all through the gospel of John. Because what happens in this moment when Jesus says, Tetelestai, it is finished, the debt is paid in full, this moment is central to the gospel of Jesus. He was not simply a good teacher. Many people will say, oh yeah, Jesus, he existed and he was a really good teacher. He was far more than a good teacher. He was Messiah. He, he was God in, incarnate. 
And being Messiah, he claimed to be God, and in doing so, he clearly taught the people why he was there, that, that he would exchange his teaching for his life. This is the reason he says that I'm here. Uh, the very reason I came is to live among you, to live a sinless life, and, and to lay myself down freely on the cross to pay the price for your sin because you can't do it. That's what Jesus told them. He walked with them. He talked with them. Uh, and and he, he taught them this very thing. And so here he is in these final moments exchanging his life for the things that he taught. At the very beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1 and verse 29, and then he says it again in John 36, we have these words. As John the Baptist sees Jesus walking along, he says uh, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's where the Gospel of John begins. It culminates at 19 when he's on the cross. Jesus first mentions it of himself in John chapter 3 during his Nick at night encounter with Nicodemus. And he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man, speaking of himself, be lifted up that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. John chapter 8, he again says, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the father has taught me. John chapter 12 and verse 32. Anybody keeping up? Okay. Uh, he says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show uh, by what kind of death he was going to die. Uh, this is the stuff that Jesus has been talking about all of his public ministry. This is why he came. He knows it very well. And right after Peter's confession, we see in Matthew chapter 16, he says that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. But it doesn't end there. And on the third day be raised. Later, he told the disciples that he would be crucified. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, verse 18, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the son of man himself, one of his titles, will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Jesus has been talking the talk. He's been teaching his disciples this very thing, and now he's living it out. See, it's one thing to go to church and talk about it, but it's another thing to leave the church and walk it out. Live it out. If you, if you say you believe it, live it out. If you've had an encounter with Jesus and he's changed your life, go live it out. All through the gospel of John, he shared a number of images or word pictures of what his death would look like. Let me just give you a couple. John 1, he talked about the slaying of the lamb. John 2, he talked about destroying the temple. John 3, he talked about lifting him up like the serpent in the wilderness, referring to the Old Testament image of Moses. John chapter 10, he talked about the shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. John chapter 12, he talked about the planting of the seed in the ground. It has to go into the ground, it has to die only for for it to be lived. So John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus says, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, get this, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. God, at that moment, I would have just had to go, yeah, yeah. But they didn't get it. 
They, didn't, they did not yet get it. Galatians chapter 2, Paul turns around and he writes later, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. He got it. Do, do you get it? Do you get it? I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by, the, by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And what? Say it out loud. And gave himself for me. He gave himself. He was fully in charge. Six hours on the cross, fully in charge. No one takes my life. I freely lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it back up. No one takes my life from me. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave, he served, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He exchanged his teaching for his life as a humble servant and a humble king. Last couple of weeks, I've been, I've been listening to some songs a little bit special to me and it's just uh, my youngest son was uh, involved in some of the writing production for his church and uh, so I've just kind of been listening there's five songs and I've kind of had them playing at home I've had them playing in my office and and uh, as I'm reading this passage and I kept hearing this song it's called humble king humble king and I thought this is Jesus I mean, it's all, obviously the song's all about Jesus. Um, but as I'm reading this passage and I, I'm, I'm thinking about him exchanging his teaching, laying down his life freely as a humble king, as a humble servant, the song just really started to resonate with me over and over and over. Um, so, some of the words of that song simply go like this. Behold the Son of God who walks among us, the fullness of heaven. Behold the Lamb of God who dwells among us and takes away the sin of the world. God, I'm getting all this kind of in the back. I didn't even realize it for a while. I'm just sort of picking this up in the background as I'm reading this passage and pressing into this incredible king who's making this exchange. It goes on and says, Behold the servant king who kneels among us and washes our feet. Behold the humble king who knows our weakness who takes away the sin of the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son to save it broken on the cross. It's finished. We have now become blameless, all our sin and shame, forgiven all our pride and blame, forgiven every spot and stain, forgiven they cannot remain. It's finished. It's finished. Behold the blood of Jesus poured out among us and takes away the sin of the world. It is that humble king in this moment who exchanged his teaching for his very life. The third thing I want you to see is the debt. Jesus exchanged the debt of sin for complete redemption. He said, it is finished. This was not a despairing cry of a martyr at all. It was not a last gasp of a worn out life because we know he's fully in charge. He's fully in control. 
So more, it was a divine declaration of a redeemer fully in charge, knowing exactly what's taking place. So in this moment, he says the price of our redemption is now paid. The mission for which God had sent him into the world is now complete. It's finished. The purpose for which he left the glory and splendor of heaven is now finished. The reason that he lived a sinless life for 33 years is now finished. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, as Jesus is speaking, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 1 Timothy chapter 1 simply says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. He came to pay the price for you, for me, Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, fulfilling prophecy, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All of this involved the cross. All of it involved the cross. Lost people can be found, but only at the cross. We have to go to the cross because uh, someone had to take the place. Someone had to take my substitutionary death uh, at, under the condemnation of God, the wrath of God. And Jesus did that for me. He did that for you. Sinners can only be saved by, by someone taking their place and bearing their iniquity, their sin. Jesus did that and he did it on the cross. I have to meet him at the cross. Those who were under the law could only be redeemed by someone else or another thing fulfilling the requirements and suffering. Jesus did that for you and for me. Our sins can be taken away only by their being blotted out by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He did that for us at the cross. All the demands of the justice and, and mercy of God had to be met. The requirements of God, His holiness, had to be satisfied. That awful debt of sin that needed to be incurred had to be paid by someone. And Jesus did that. It was all on the cross. Someone once said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because that's where we all have to come and meet Jesus. No one's better, no one's worse. We're just all sinners before a holy God. Romans 3.23, we, we hear it a lot here because we believe this to be so true. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Greek rendering of that is, all y'all are messed up. <laughs> Every one of us. If you're in this place, just lift your hand. Just everybody, come on. Thanks for your admission of guilt. We're all guilty. That's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But at the foot of the cross, we're all equal. Because we're all sinful and we have to come to him there at the foot of the cross. That's why not just Romans 3.23 telling us that we're all sinners. I knew that I'm a sinner. I know that I'm still a sinner before a holy God. But I know that I have Jehovah Sidkin who covers me with his righteousness. That's why Romans 5.8 becomes so beautiful. Romans chapter 5 simply says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good one, for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, what does it say? Christ died for us. The sins of the believer, the sins of the one who puts his trust in him and meets him at the cross, all of them were transferred to Jesus in that moment on the cross. Past, present, future. He took them all and he paid the price by simply saying, it is finished. Your debt, Dave, is paid in full. There's nothing you can do to earn it. You simply have to receive it at the cross. Isaiah chapter 53, 700 years before Jesus is hanging on this rugged cross, Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Some of you need to hear this this morning because you're still living under the bondage of sin when God has removed that from you, and he's placed your sin and the iniquity and the punishment on Jesus. And you're not living in freedom. You're not living in joy. You're not living in forgiveness. You desire a relationship with God, but you're still living under the burden and the penalty of sin. Listen, God took that sin from you. He took it from me and he laid it on Jesus to bear the iniquity of us all so that you and I can be forgiven. When we believe him, when we receive him, we're no longer under condemnation. Sin uh, is no longer on me, it's on him. That is the guilt, the condemnation, the penalty of sin is no longer on me. Jesus says, Dave, I've taken that. You don't have to live under the guilt. You don't have to live under the shame. I want you to be forgiven. I want you to be brought into right relationship with me. I want you to enjoy me in intimate fellowship. That, folks, is the invitation that Jesus gives us because he's paid the price. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and we'll wrap up. As Peter's writing, he says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You've been healed. It's a place to find forgiveness. It's a place to find healing. Maybe memories, maybe hurts. I don't know what it is, but this is the place to find healing. The guilt, the condemnation, the penalty of our sin, it was transferred to Jesus as my substitute. My sins transferred to Christ, and they're no more upon me. Now I live in victory. As we close our time, the team's going to come up. We're going to close with a song. We're going to sing praise to the King of Kings, the sacrifice lamb. And every one of us, I can be honest in saying this, I believe it's for every single one of us in this place or if you're with us online, every single one of us right now need to do business with Jesus. At some level, whether it's gratitude, maybe someone in this place, you've never given your life to Christ. You don't still really understand what that means. We want to talk to you and help you understand what it means to have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ. For some, you're talking the talk, but it's time to really walk the walk as Jesus showed us. 
Maybe you need someone to come alongside and begin to equip and train you to walk the journey to grow in Christ, to be the person he created you to be. Maybe as a follower of Christ, you're still living under the guilt and the shame of sin and, and you need to find forgiveness. You need to find healing. We're going to go to the foot of the cross. We're going to allow God to do business with us no matter where you are this morning. Maybe it's, just, maybe it's just a moment of rejoicing with you as you do business with the Lord and you're just praising him and thanking him for being a great God. Maybe you need to confess your sin and receive him. Maybe you need to come in an attitude of prayer and let someone come alongside you and just, just pray with you and say, God, I need to meet you in my hurt. I need to meet you in my pain. And I need this off me and on you because you promised to take it. Before we go to this song, I think what is so cool is as John was writing these words about our great, glorious, sacrifice lamb, John has another encounter with this lamb. We see it in the book of Revelation. And we just need to go there and understand the victory that is before us. Because John gets this revelation, and then Revelation chapter 5, if you want to bow your heads, if you want to look, I don't care, but just do business with the Lord in this moment, would you? I want you to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I want you to see the Savior who hung on that cross and cried, Tadalestai, it is finished, your debt is paid in full. Because on that lone island of Patmos, as John had this revelation from God in Revelation chapter 5, here's what words that John declares. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll... The four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and, praise, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That is the king that we sing to. That is the king that we rejoice. That is the king who brings forgiveness and healing. During this time, if you need to remain seated, you please do that. You do business with the Lord. If you need to come, we'd love to meet you here. If you need to stand and just lift your hands and praise the Lord, God, you are King Jesus, and we praise you this morning. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And God, we praise you for who you are, that you have paid the price. It has been paid in full. God, you have paid our debt. And it's you we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.